Hello, and welcome back to Practically Political. Great to have you with us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Glad to have you all. Let's get to it, Dave. And we've got our special guest back with us this week, Masada Siegel. Thank you so much for joining us. Masada has family from Israel. She's spent a lot of time in Israel. Um, this is a really somber time, um, basically a Pearl Harbor or 9-11 for Israel. Um, and Masada, we're just grateful you're here to share your thoughts. Um, can you just give us your reflections overall on what we've seen unfolding with this horrific assault from the murderous terrorist group Hamas? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying last, um, when this, when this started, I was in London and, uh, immediately I could tell something was different this time. Um, and I have to tell you, it's, it's so gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. And I mean, it was a massacre. It was a planned massacre. And the, the, the young people at a party and a rave in the desert, I mean, the people that Hamas chose to murder, but not only murder, to, to take the playbook of the Holocaust and to, uh, to burn people alive, to put people in a room, to murder. It, it, it's, I mean, anybody who doesn't understand what's going on is, is, needs to really start learning some history. It is so appalling. And, and it could have been me. I mean, I was in London. I had thought of maybe going to Israel for a couple of days. Why not? Um, it was the it was the holiday of Sukkot. It was Simchas Torah. It was the, the day they planned. It was on one of the most joyous, happiest days in the Jewish in the Jewish holidays. Um, this was a planned murderous rampage against the Western values. I mean, people from all countries were murdered, were killed. Kids at a rave, at a peace party. People who have brought economic stability to Gaza, who have built connections with, with the people who live there. They were murdered. Their children were murdered. Holocaust survivors were mur murdered. There is no, I mean, anybody with a moral compass should be open to their, should open their eyes and really understand what is going on here today. Yeah, it just, it, it truly was uh, uh, depravity beyond words. Uh, more Jews killed, frankly, since the Holocaust. And if you do it proportionally, think of um, think of thirty thousand plus people being killed in the U.S. on nine eleven, right? If you look at the proportion in terms of the populations, but the two things that really make me sad, which I don't think will will ever change, the first is that I think the whole security situation has been shattered. And I remember the times I'd been to Israel probably four or five times. And you, and you thought, yes, we're surrounded by hostile neighbors, but there's a safety here. You have the wall, you have an understanding that they live and let live. I don't see how that can ever be restored fully. I think it's going to be like you're living in Mexico City or you're living in Johannesburg where people have guard towers and everyone's always on edge. And secondly, you know, I think in the West, we're a little naive. We, we believe that in the end, all people are good. We believe in the end that all people, when given a choice, given a fork in the road, would do the right thing. And these people are not like that. They are evil. They celebrate death, not life. You can't negotiate with someone when they don't value their own life. You can't negotiate someone with someone when they use their own children as shields. And that, to me, is probably the greatest tragedy is above all of this in terms of humanity. 
on the, the macro picture is that these people aren't going anywhere and they're going to be back and they're going to strike again. And they lulled us into a false sense of security. They lulled us into believing that we could live side by side and that there could be peace and that Hamas could be at least a quasi um, not irresponsible governing body. And all that is out the window. It's very, very sad. Yeah. Well, and Masada, I, I know we've talked a little bit about the state of American college campuses and just the lack of any sort of moral spine or moral clarity. On the one hand, you have these same campuses being hotbeds when you have other issues like George Floyd uh, or, you know, the um, uh, you know Me Too movement with women. But when it comes to this issue with anti-Semitism and the slaughter of innocence, they're strangely silent. And, and you know, I'm a graduate of Harvard uh, University. I know Dave went to Stanford uh, and you went to Columbia. I, I'm ashamed of all those schools and all of the Ivy Leagues. And to see, in, in hindsight now, Cla uh, Claudine Gay going out and making a statement um, and tr tr trying to basically win the donors back and, and, you know, retroactively saying that what Hamas did was wrong, whereas before they were very neutral and tight-lipped about it and, and did nothing to rein in the students who, that's what you go to university for, is you're supposed to be uh, guided uh, and to learn from your elders. But if your elders are infected with the same virus that uh, doesn't understand um, world events and doesn't understand what's happening, that the slaughter of innocence is, is not ever justified. But the good news is you are starting to see some some people pulling out their money. So, so John Huntsman has said he's going to take out his money from UPenn system um, at the Harvard Kennedy School, specifically the Wexner Foundation is um, they're taking money out of that. Um, do you think we've reached a tipping point, Masada, like on on these college campuses that these donors are finally waking up? I mean, I've been in 2013, I gave a talk at at NYU Law School about the BDS movement and how it was anti-Semitic and how NYU was using the endowment to go after Israel and go after the Jews with investment. But do you think we're finally now, I mean, this this is decades in the making, but do you think finally now we've reached a tipping point? Well, I think we've reached a tipping point maybe with the donors. Um, I think the damage is done. I will tell you, I'm really deeply offended and embarrassed by Columbia University, the university itself, not necessarily particularly my school, which was SIPA. I can address that in just a moment. But Columbia University has a professor, his name is Joseph Massad, who claimed it was a stunning victory. He claimed it was awesome what happened to the what happened to the people, what happened to the Jewish people and to the Israelis and, and to their aides and to and and I mean don't don't forget in Israel there are one there are over a million Israeli Arabs who live there. So they they weren't immune either to getting murdered. Um, but I'm embarrassed by Columbia University's response as a professor. They haven't gotten rid of him. There's a petition out. I encourage everybody to sign it to get rid of him. Um, an Israeli professor, I saw a video, he talked about, he's at the business school. He talked about how he feels unsafe on campus, how students feel unsafe. Um, Columbia University, I'd like to ask you, how do you allow a rally for Hamas after September 11th? It's the number one sentence pretty much in Hamas's charter that it's for the destruction of Israel. They don't mention discussing creating a Palestinian state. So Columbia University, I think you really need to, you know, wake up and, and protect your Jewish students and not be anti-Semitic and not be so, um, you know, 
saying, well, you know, there's two sides. There are two sides. There are two sides to a baby being beheaded in 2023. There are not two sides to people being burnt alive. There are not two sides to terrorizing a family and killing all of them in a safe room. There are not two sides to this story. So I think Columbia University owes their Jewish students an apology. And I think the students around the world, I mean, at Harvard, what a joke. You know, um, the people, some of the people who signed the the letter, you know, conde- um, can, you know, the, the letter are, are um, what was it, the you know, gay people for Hamas. I mean, Hamas would throw you off a building. They would kill you. You know, I think people need to really wake up. And, you know, for me, having covered 9-11 for two years and having witnessed it, I definitely have a very clear view on what terrorism is and what terrorism is not. And this not only was terrorism, but it is it will have created anxiety and a lot of issues for people around the world for the foreseeable future. That said, I will tell you, Israel is strong and Israeli soldiers are brave and we will get through this. And American Jews, we, we are watching, we see who's showing up for us. I am so grateful to some of my African-American friends who have shown up for me, some of my Christian friends who have shown up for me. I'm, I'm so grateful for the people that I know that, are, that stand with me because I know in past situations, I have stood shoulder to shoulder with them and I am grateful to see some of that. But yeah, Dave, why don't we talk about Stanford a little bit? They uh, had a professor there who put Jewish students in a corner. Let's let's address what's going on there. I, this I, is not just you a, know, I, I, I this is one something I honestly don't understand. You know, I'm I'm truly I am 360 degrees of being flummoxed here because I see no upside for this other than sheer hate and the catharsis that some people must be feeling because they've had this stuff. In. I, you know, this is something you expect from the Rashida Talibs of the world, right? But you don't expect it from major institutions. You don't expect it from people that have that are supposed to know better. And I think it's very embarrassing. And I also think that you know whatever you think one one thinks of the net and hot net and hot net and hot government. I want to get your opinion on this, Masadi. Yes, they're right wing and they're extreme and you can argue that the country was a little bit less organized than normal, but what do you see um, as the fairness or unfairness or from people who say, you know what, this was largely not or even partially due to the fact that, you know, Israel was in disarray because Netanyahu is like Trump. He was trying to gut democracy and cripple the judiciary and a lot of military and intelligence people said we're not going to serve. Do you think that was, if if any, a factor in what happened? And because Israel was caught unprepared, that's for sure. And I know a lot of Israelis are very angry at their government. What do you think? I mean, let's be very clear about what's going on here. This is a direct attack on Judaism, on its anti-Semitism. I mean, Zionism just clearly states that the Jewish people should have a homeland. So to circle back to answer your question, yeah, I think Israel was caught off guard because the Israelis, they don't want to fight with anybody. They will, and they will fight hard, and, and, and they will do what's necessary because of what this massacre did and what happened. Um, but that's not, like, that's not what they want to do with their lives. They want to create. They want to build. Whereas I ask you, what, Hamas has received 
over $5 billion since 1994, Hamas and, and the Palestinians in the West Bank, over $5 million. They've received 700 from, from the United States. And this is according to the Congressional Research Survey. Um, the EU has given 700 million. UNRWA has a special fund and a special organization, the UN, just for the Palestinians. The rest of the world, all the other, all the other refugees have a, have, have a separate entity. Where has all the money gone over the past 10, 20 years? It hasn't gone to building schools. It hasn't gone to building infrastructure. Why is it that Israel controls the water and, and, the, and the electricity in Gaza? Why couldn't they have built their own structures at this point? Gaza could have been the Singapore of the Middle East. They have such, such like, they have beaches, they have properties, they could do stuff. And instead, you know what? Hamas is dedicated to the eradication and destruction of Israel. They have no interest in, in their own people. And then furthermore, it's amazing today, Egypt and Jordan said that they shouldn't be responsible to help the Palestinian people. It, it blows my mind. How, how could you not help your own people? I mean, the queen of Jordan is Palestinian. Wow. Yeah, no, it's pretty shocking. Well, and Dave, one thing to point out, the head of Shin Bet, which is the intelligence service for Israel, he has come out and said that he takes responsibility for the failure uh, because that's really, I think, where the intelligence failure started. Uh, and over the weekend, I was up at or down at Liberty University and I spoke to my former colleague, uh, General Keith Kellogg. He's a three-star general in the Army, retired who was one of the chief national security advisors for Donald Trump when he was in the White House. And he said it really had to do with that they went back to old school technology, as in like they were sending paper documents and couriers. They completely went under the radar. Old, you know, the terrorist attacks that they've been able to stop, they were using cell phones. These guys went back in time and they said, we're going to just do the, the usual human intelligence instead of signal intelligence. And it was human intelligence failures here that allowed this to happen because they went back in time. They just went old school. And that's really what's what's frightening in terms of what, what might be, be, be planned right now. Um, but Masada, one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on was what we talked about with the, the language that we see. So the language around words like occupying, words like colonizer, the left throws that around. People who hate Israel throw those words around. But talk a little bit about the history of Gaza and Israel's, just the, the timeline of Israel's presence and then departure from Gaza and the relationship where it stood before the attack. We'll start with in 2005, Israel left Gaza. They had no one to talk to for peace. Um, I ha actually happened to have been in Israel that summer. I saw how heartbreaking it was. Not only did Israel leave Gaza, but what they did is they left behind they, they didn't burn their buildings. They left behind structures. They left behind houses. They left behind synagogues. They left behind, most importantly, greenhouses. Um, these were greenhouses that they sold to the Americans for $14 million. Um, the World Bank president at the time, or former World Bank president, Paul Wolfeson, he put up $500,000 of his own money. These greenhouses were transferred over to the Palestinian people, um, to Hamas. And um, what happened was in September that year, they were the, the people there ripped them apart. They destroyed the greenhouses. So here was an opportunity, a way for them to make money, and they destroyed it. Over, over the past, I mean, even I was in Israel, like I said, this summer, I mean, I think the number was about 16,000 
workers from Gaza come to Israel every single day. So, and I'm sure that I'm sure that is completely dead and will never be revived. Um, but yes, so Israel left Gaza in 2005. So when you talk about occupation, there was no occupation. They left. And what, was, what were they rewarded with? With rocket attacks, endless rocket attacks year after year after year. Um, if it wasn't for Iron Dome, Dome missile, missiles being shot down, you know, it, it would be a disaster. So what, what I think people really need to learn is their history. So since this time, since 2005, Gaza has been under Palestinian self-rule. Where is the responsibility? Where is the money gone over this time? These are a couple of my thoughts. No, that's a good question. And and again, Israel has tried occupying Gaza. It didn't work. And that really is the segue to the $64,000 question, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on, Masada, is what should Israel's response be? Because obviously, if I were a soldier of, from any country, I can't imagine a mission more daunting and more scary than having to go into one of the world's most densely populated areas, much of which is in ruins with this network of tunnels that you're sure are going to be booby trapped and try to root out these guys. And what you're seeing on TV now, which is so unfair, and I blame the media a little bit for this, is you're hearing about the 50,000 Palestinian women that can't give birth and all the kids that are starving. You know, again, this is a palace, this is a, a Hamas caused problem. But my question to you is what should Israel do in terms of a response that achieves what is needed, but doesn't make them look like they're murdering a lot of innocent people? Okay, well, two things. I would say now is the perfect time for the Arab world to step up. If they're really concerned about the Palestinians, then the Arab world needs to open their doors and welcome them in. Say, we understand it's rough. We want you in. Egypt should open their doors. Jordan should open their doors. Um, every There are 49 other Arab countries. They should open their doors. They should put their money where their mouth is. So that is my first answer to that question. It is the second to answer, to, to answer your question. It is very complicated. There are about 200 hostages, hostages, including babies that are six months old, five-year-old kids that were taken on their own. I mean, so Israel is facing a very complicated situation right now. Um, and and frankly, do Israeli soldiers want to, I mean, they, they have a job to do because it's it's like a weed in the garden. My I, I was explaining to somebody recently, you know, if a weed is little, you pull it out, it's easy. Once you let it take hold, once you let it take root, it's very hard to pull out. Um, it's complicated in terms of that there are hostages, 200 from all over the world, from many countries, from Germany, from uh, France. I mean, I, I've been looking at some of the reports. Um, and so that makes it complicated. I think Israel, it's been about nine or 10 days now, and Israel is slowly formulating a plan. What the plan is, I don't know. I do know that Biden is coming there on uh, tomorrow. And... Um, you know, one of my sources told me that they think the war is going to start on Thursday, like a real war. But I think now is the time for Arab countries to get those hostages out, get the and, and open their doors to the people that are living there and really show up. Because when Israel was declared a state in 1948, they welcomed every single Jewish person who wanted to show up. And in return, 
thousands of people came. And if you look at the Arab world today, how many Jewish people live in Cairo? 10, maybe? If you look at Iraq, how many Jewish people live there? I mean, in Israel right now, the, the Israeli Arabs are part of the government. Israeli Arabs live better in Israel than they do under any other Arab country in the world. There's, there's something to be said for that. So for all the people who don't understand, I really recommend learning their history. But again, in terms of what Israel will do, I think the hostages, you know, that, that weighs heavily because the Jewish faith values life and values people. Um, and getting into Gaza, it is going to cause mass casualties. And I don't really think people want to see that. But on the flip side, you can't just stand by and watch your people get massacred because the only way to, to deal with evil is by force and to quelch it, much like we did to ISIS, much like we did to Al Qaeda. Make no mistake, Hamas is the same entity as both of those. Wow, very well said. Well, Asana, we so appreciate you coming on the show. I think Harry and I are going to stay on because we have an all points bulletin that just came on regarding activities in the house. But I know um, you need to go, so we will let you go. But thank you so much for being on the show. I words cannot express my our thoughts to you, to the loved ones you know in Israel, and to all your friends in that great country, that um, they will persevere, and in the end, Israel will hopefully emerge stronger than ever. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, yeah, I just, I wanna thank you both for having me. I think, I think it's really important to get the message out and I really appreciate your time today.